as though it had been slain. And he went and he took this scroll that had been offered to anyone who was worthy to open it. But no one was found worthy to open the scroll. No one was found worthy to break the seals. This is the title deed to the whole earth. This is the judgment. The only one that had the right to judge mankind was the perfect man. And he, he arose in that moment. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, it says, these four living creatures, these 24 elders that were around the throne, fell down before the Lamb. They were each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take this scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. This is Jesus. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And I just think that view of heaven gives us something to shoot for, gives us something to hope in, gives us something to look forward to. You know, in this world there's so many things that are depressing and distressing, discouraging and infuriating in the natural. But when we see the culmination of all of history finishing up, even perhaps in our generation, we look past it and we see what God has already showed us in his word of the glory we just sang about of the lamb and the king, the lion of Judah. We will see him. We will worship him. We will honor him. We will cast our crowns at his feet. And I just want to thank God for this hope in the midst of this time that we're in right now. We celebrate the return of Jesus Christ. Much of the liturgical world is thinking of the Advent. That's the season that they've entered into prior to the birth of Christ at Christmas. They're celebrating the first Advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus in the the womb of Mary. But let us also not forget his second Advent and celebrate that imminent return of Christ. You know, it could be any day now And if that is your blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then grace is doing a good work in you because it's teaching you how to live and how to hope. Okay? Ask for that grace in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are here today to honor you, to minister to you, to give you back what you have already put into us, love and praise and thanksgiving and hope and faith. And we, uh, we can't do it, Lord, in our own flesh, Father. We deny this flesh that wants to celebrate the things of this life only and not look beyond it. Because, Lord, what is eternity? It is something incomprehensible to our mere mortal minds. But yet it says in your word that you have put eternity in our hearts. So, Father, from our hearts we lift up a praise. We lift up faith that we will stand with you one day in eternity with life, Lord, not in judgment, but in celebration of who you are and all that you've done to get us there. Open to our eyes today, Lord God, something about Jesus, that we may not leave here the same way we came in, that you may bring healing to those that need healing, encouragement to those that need strength, that you may bring conviction to those that are in rebellion or sin, and that you will lead each of us to a closer walk with our King today and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 19, we're going to look at a scripture here and then move into the New Testament. 
I want to remind you that this evening we're having a very special a celebration of Jesus' birth up in St. Francisville at Christie's place called The Hill. Um, I believe they're saying you can come as soon as 5 o'clock this afternoon. Um, anywhere in that time frame, 5 or later, they're going to have fireworks. The preaching and the gospel will be praying for Felix as he's ministering both this morning at 1030 and then this evening over there. But it's a real honor that um, they would invite the final night of the Christmas um, celebration they do annually at St. Francisville to be at the Hill and to have a, a genuine Christ-honoring time there. So please come if you can. If you are uh, in town and you'd rather come here, there is prayer at 6 o'clock here at the church, I believe. So you can also come here and pray. Um, but we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. Um, the Lord moved mightily Friday night. I see Jeff there. And it was a wonderful time at the Antique Village in Denham Springs. I don't know how many of y'all could come there, but it was a great crowd. And we just celebrate the, uh, the freedom and the liberty. Not only uh, Jeff, but Ann ministered uh, her testimony. Tammy did a fantastic job as well. So I just thank God for, for putting that all together. He's really using our church to get out into the community and to, uh, to, to increase the fame of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here for, you know, not to stay in these four walls but to get out there and to give back what we've been given freely from God. So we're in Exodus chapter 19, and you know the book of Exodus is talking about God bringing his people, the children of Israel, out. I'm just going to teach a little bit today, if that's okay, about something that the Lord has revealed to me that I really uh, needed some clarity on, and he's helped me in, in some ways that I hope will help you. Some of you may have heard this message. I gave it at a men's Bible study a few weeks ago. Um, and I think it's something that I need to continue to develop in my life, and I hope it will help you whether you've heard it or not before. But this is a, this is a plan of God for all time, I think, that he would have a people that would be set apart. And it says in Exodus 19, verse 5, talking to Moses and the children of Israel, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, to my, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, in verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God's desire was to have a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what is this message about today? It's about the kingdom of God. I have been one that throughout my 15 years as a Christian have heard a lot about the kingdom of God because it's literally all over the New Testament especially in the Synoptic Gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, it's, but it's mentioned over a hundred times easily in the New Testament. And the kingdom of heaven, it says in Matthew, but it's usually called the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is our relationship to it as, as believers here in 2021? And what do we do about it? You know, is it, is it here? Is it now? Is it, is it raining on the earth? Has it been raining since Jesus Christ resurrected? Is it something that's future, something that is going to come at the day that Jesus returns to the earth uh, to rule and to, to destroy all rebellion, all other kingdoms? That's been a great source of division throughout church history, honestly. Um, many people take a doctrinal position of one side or the other. You have different views of, of the last days and eschatology, but then the whole thing about the kingdom gets mixed in there. Um, and honestly, that's been one of the reasons that I've not really delved into it. I, I hear about the kingdom, but I think the, the, the primary reason that a lot of us, whether we study theology or different viewpoints or not, it doesn't really 
mean as much, but the primary reason that a lot of us probably don't relate to the idea of the kingdom of God as we should is because we're Americans and we live under a, a constitutional republic, a democracy. We were founded on the idea that we will not be subject to an earthly king. We will not have another nation telling us what to do, how to live. We're not going to pay taxes to anybody. We're going to be Americans. We're going to declare our independence and we're going to govern ourselves by the people, for the people. And that was a radical approach to governance, and it's, it's been amazingly successful throughout the centuries that America has, has existed. Uh, certainly, without the help of God, she would have never made it this far. And if we don't go back to the help of God, we're not going to make it too much further. But here we are as a nation that has never known a king, and that's, a, that's something we boast in. Um, but as you begin to think about a king, perhaps the images of pop culture come to our minds as Americans. You know, for you that were a little older, maybe you think of Elvis was called the king back in the day, right? The king of rock or whatever he was. I don't know Elvis that well before I was born, but, you know, the king, right? He, he was, he was, and what kind of a king was he? You know, it's not really um, a great example. Um, I, I, I have the image, unfortunately, that I'm trying to eliminate of the Burger King guy, and he's, he's, he's the guy with the crown and the goofy dress and he's you know you can have it your way you know that's how you appeal to americans if you're talking about a king no you can have it your way it's it's that whatever you want it's it's fine that's the kind of king that we want (laughs) and uh that's not a that's not a good example um we're trying to look back in history then to look at the kings of england england hasn't had a king for over 70 years so most most in here have never been alive when there was actually a king of england which would be the, the obvious place you would go to to look for this kind of uh of precedent so you know you and then you go back to the kings that england has had and some of them were tyrants some of them were very immoral men some of them did a lot of good but do they represent the king that we see in the bible the concept of a king and a kingdom i would have to say absolutely not so the challenge is to 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 strip away some of these uh these other thoughts that come whenever you hear the the term king and same thing that some people struggle with when they hear the term father Maybe they've had a terrible upbringing. Maybe they didn't know a, a good father. And that the, the, the idea of relating to God as your heavenly father is not something that's endearing in the natural. And they overcome that, though, as they get to know God. Or a priest. You know, we're called not just to be a, king, a kingdom, but a kingdom of priests. Okay? And so we grow up in different denominations that have the priest as the man up front with the altar. This is not the altar in those churches. The altar is a table where you're breaking the, the wafer and pouring out the wine and saying the prayers so the people can drink the body and blood of Jesus. That's the priest. And he's making intercession. He's a mediator between God and man. And that's not biblical. And so we have to dismiss that concept, but not dismiss the word. Get back to what the Bible calls us as priests. Maybe we'll address that a little bit. But let's deal with king right now. So kingdom is sometimes a stumbling block because of those reasons, especially as Americans in the 21st century. But it also can be a stumbling block theologically because we have these different camps. Even in evangelical Christianity, you have the one camp that says the kingdom of God is right now. It's been reigning on the earth ever since Jesus uh, rose from the dead and said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me and I give it to you. And he went back to heaven. But the church is now here to establish this kingdom that reigns over all the nations. And we're not there yet, but it's spreading like leaven and it's supposed to go out. And so the means by which we do that is every worldly means we can get our hands on. We just Christianize it. We Christianize politics, 
education, media, entertainment, and everything that we can get involved in to bring about a Christian worldview and set of morals and legislate Christianity as much as possible. So that's the one view, and sometimes it gets involved with charismatic stuff. And, you know, we, we in this church at least, would react to that and say, no, that's not biblical. That's really pushing, uh, putting all your efforts, all your time into something that's not God's ways. That's man's way to try to, but Jesus said very clearly, my kingdom is not of this world, else my servants would fight. And yet we see the result of people that think the kingdom of God is now in things like the Crusades, which was the Catholic approach to it, or just the online battles that we're fighting each other through words and through um, every effort to destroy those that we don't agree with within Christianity. This is not God's way. I don't believe that anyone in here would say, yes, the kingdom of God is reigning. Satan is bound up now. He doesn't, he doesn't go about as a roaring lion. Um, this, is, this is the kingdom. You know, We're not waiting for Jesus to return. It's here right now, so let's live in it and, and enjoy it. I would say there's something wrong, terribly wrong with this picture. So we'd say that's, that's not right. But do we throw out the kingdom then and go to the other side, the other extreme, which is the dispensational or the extreme dispensational view, um, which would say the kingdom of God is a concept that is only going to arrive when Jesus comes back physically. You know, we expect the return of a physical Christ to set up a kingdom of a thousand-year reign, as Revelation describes it. And that's going to be the kingdom age, okay? But right now, we're in the, the time of the Gentiles. There's no kingdom on earth right now. The Jews rejected their king. He went back to heaven. And this is the time of grace. So they, they divide up the scriptures so that anything relating to something that's not of grace is for another people another time. And so you even get to that, that viewpoint will take you so far as to say Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's clearly talking about things that we can't receive if we're under the Gentile age of grace and so forth, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's talking about things like uh, the law and, you know, fulfilling the law and, and being holy in your, your thoughts, I mean, perfect and, and you know, that's that's obviously not grace, so we have to put that under the kingdom age. And they'll put that and say, that's what Jesus intends for the Jews. That's what Jesus intends for his kingdom to look back when he look like when he comes back. But that's not for now. So I, I would say no. I, I I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's grace through and through. It's the potential of what a a true born again spirit filled child of God can actually attain in this life through the help of the Holy Spirit through the help of grace. Um, the kingdom of God, they would say, is something that's only future, not here now, and any reference to it has to be relating to the Jews or to some future thing. But I would say maybe um, that's a bit off. Maybe that's a little bit too reactive to the idea of, well, we're in the kingdom. So they said, no, 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 we can't be in the kingdom until Christ comes back. Perhaps there's actually a biblical uh, balance, a place that's somewhere in between those two extreme views that we need to grapple with. And that's often the case with, with doctrines in the Bible. You know, you have this viewpoint over there and the exact opposite over here. And you say, well, which one is it? You know, I see faults with both. If we get back to the Bible, we see a balance. We see the scriptures. And there's a tension there, too, because God doesn't want us to swing away from, from here, which is our natural tendency over to here, or, or swing back over here. But, but to stay in that healthy tension that I would say, I haven't coined this term, but I love it. The kingdom is both now and not yet. The kingdom of God is both now in the sense that it is available 
to whosoever will come into it, will will heed, heed the call. And you can actually begin to experience the power and the presence of the king in your life. But it's not yet, and that the king is still at the right hand of the Father. Physically, Jesus will always be a man, fully God and fully man, a glorified man. And when he comes back, the king will rule this earth with a rod of iron. He will put down all opposition without question. But right now, he's not doing that. Right now, he's allowing the governments to govern. He's allowing the prince of the power of this air, which is Satan, to have sway over this whole earth, in a sense, except for those that have been called out into the heavenly kingdom. So it is not yet in its fullness, and yet the kingdom is now in its people who are on earth. So how does this work? And you may already understand that concept, but I pray this will inspire you to, to know your identity in Christ a little bit more fully. You know, we sing about the, the songs that say, uh, you, I am who you say I am and all that. Well, who does he say you are? You need to know this and you need to define it and you need to apply it to your life. And I do too. So let's consider what it means to be in a kingdom that is now and not yet. We are called, this is, this is the call that goes out to the whole world now since Jesus has died and rose again. We are called to willingly submit to the authority of a king and a kingdom which are not yet fully ruling on the earth. One day all will submit to the righteous reign of King Jesus for a thousand years, no exceptions tolerated. And during those thousand years, there will be people that will rebel. And the Bible makes quick work of them. It says if you die at the age of 100 during that, that millennial reign, you'll, you'll have died young. You know, Whereas today, hardly anyone reaches that age. It's going to be very unusual for people to, um, to die. But if they commit sin during that reign, Jesus is not going to tolerate it. Right now, you can, you can absolutely uh, rebel and God in his patience and his forbearance is going to allow you and draw you to repentance over and over again until the day of your death. And then as pointed in a man wants to die and then the judgment. At that point, there's no second chances. Right now, you and I are called to willingly place ourselves under the authority of King Jesus. Think about that. If there was a king in Saudi Arabia, I think they have a kingdom. I was trying to... I was trying to Think through all the countries of the world and say, where, where is there actually a king that's ruling right now? You know, that has some sense. He's not just a figurehead. So I don't know. I know there's a prince in Saudi Arabia. I think, let's just say they have a king. And let's say I'm living here in the United States. And so I hear about this king in Saudi Arabia. And I say, you know what? Though I'm a citizen of the United States, I'm going to submit to the rule and the will and the desires and the pleasure of this king in Saudi Arabia. And I'm going to find out what it is that he wants from his people, how he wants his subjects to live, what they should do, what they cannot do, and I'm going to abide by that. Even though I'm here in America and I'm a citizen of this country, I'm going to act as though I'm a citizen of the Saudi Arabia. That'd be very odd, very strange. In fact, you would miss out on a lot of the freedoms that you could have in America if you wanted to restrict yourself, especially as a woman, if you wanted to restrict yourself to the rulership of some king in a nation like Saudi Arabia. But in that, we see perhaps the idea of The kingdom that we are called to live under is not here on the earth. It is in heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. There's a king there. And he has a a will for us. He has his ways, his laws, the things that are right and the things that are wrong. And he asks us to submit to that now while we have the choice to do that. We don't have to. You can now and it will be much better for you on the day when the king returns. Or you can refuse to and refuse to the day of your death. And then if you're here when he returns... 
He will judge those that have rebelled against the call. But this is the beautiful thing is that as you willingly place yourself under his authority, you receive authority. You know, it's very important whose authority you're under. There's a a, a story in Luke chapter 7. It talks about the man that came to Jesus, um, but didn't even think that he was worthy to have Jesus come into his house. And in this this little story here in Luke chapter 7, there was a centurion, verse 2, that had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. In other words, this centurion, this Roman Gentile, is worthy for Jesus to heal even his servant because he's built us a synagogue and and so forth. He loves our nation. In verse 6, Jesus went with him, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too... Listen to this, verse 8. I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So this man had a revelation of who jesus was he said you're a man under authority we we don't often think of jesus as a man under authority we think of jesus as the king the one that can do whatever he pleases the one that has all authority all power and there's nothing that he needs to ask permission to do but in reality jesus heard a man say, no, I see in you a man set under authority, which is why you can tell demons to go and they go, which is why you can uh, speak to sickness and it has to leave, which is why you can speak to um, life and it has to come back when the person is dead. I see you are under authority, which gives you tremendous authority. I too am a man under authority. I I have authority over a hundred soldiers. I know how this works. Jesus, all you got to say is say the word. And is going to obey you. And that, that servant was healed when Jesus said the word. He had that kind of faith. Well, how did that come? You know, did he read about that in a Bible? No, he didn't have the Bible. I don't believe. He didn't, he didn't read about this kind of thing. He had a revelation of Jesus Christ. So do you have a revelation? I'm not saying do you understand intellectually that Jesus is called the king and that there's a kingdom and that we are called to enter into this kingdom. Have you gotten a revelation of what this means for you and me. Jesus is calling you into his kingdom. Say you accept that. You say, yes, Lord, I want to come into your kingdom. Um, I don't just want to wait till the day you come back. I want to experience it now. See, he has sent his representative, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enforces the kingdom of God in the hearts and the lives and the places wherever he is given space to lead. And that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to represent King Jesus here on the earth. And that's the beautiful thing is that when he comes into your life, you are now made a citizen of the heavenly country. You're not just a citizen of America anymore. You're not just a a global citizen. You are a citizen of heaven. The Bible speaks of that multiple times in the New Testament. 
Well, how is that? Because now King Jesus is your king and you are his subject, not just his subject. Yes, you're his, his brother, you're his friend, your servant, all these things. But in the kingdom of God, we think of it that way, that we are now given a position. He doesn't leave us as a slave. We were slaves to Satan in his kingdom, in this earth, the prince of the power of the air. We couldn't set ourselves free. We couldn't choose to, to, to run after God. He had to come and redeem us purchase us, ransom us from our sins by his blood. He calls us now into his kingdom to be his citizen and to serve him with that freedom, not to use it for the lust of the flesh. And he calls us now ambassadors. So think about that as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. What do you do? What do you, what, what does that mean? It's a, it's a term that we can relate to as we think about an ambassador in the world today. Any ambassador the United States sends out, even they send it out to a podunk country that's third world, they don't have any influence, they have a a low GDP, but an ambassador is highly esteemed in that nation. It's a great honor to go there because you're not representing that country, you're representing the country from which you come. If you're representing the United States, the president, the people of the United States, that's a great honor. And so in ambassadorship, you're going to represent the king of your nation, of, 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 and that's Jesus. We are representing heaven, we're representing the king of heaven, and we are representing his ways and his rule and his teachings. And so what do we do as ambassadors? Can, we make, can an ambassador make a person in Spain a citizen of the United States? He cannot. He cannot go over to some country and just say, okay, I, I'm, I'm deciding you're going you're gonna to be a citizen of this country. But he can tell them how to become a citizen. He can point them to the king and he can say, this man can make you a citizen. And that's what we're called to do as an ambassador. We are not making people Christians. We are not making people citizens of heaven, but we are here to tell them about the king and tell them about his country and tell them how to get there. So who is the king? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what he was like. We know him not as, as the great king of heaven, but we know him as a man who came fully God and fully man. The, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Jesus, it says. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what was Jesus like? You know, the description he gave of himself was, I am meek and lowly in heart, and I've come to give you rest, and I, wanna, I want you to take your yoke with me. But if you begin to just tell them about the things he did, and the stories and the Gospels, and his ways, and his healing, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his truth, and and describe this Jesus to people. If you know him, you love him. And if you love him, you want to tell others about him. Tell them about his country. Where is the king from? What's it like where he is? You know, people just know about their country here. They've, they've, many people have never been uh, to other nations and so forth. And then they go there many times, like in my case, I, I couldn't wait to get back to the United States. I, I, I gain appreciation of the United States when I would travel abroad. But... You and I, it says, are seated in heavenly places. We have, through books like Revelation, a glimpse into the heavenly country. What is it like? What goes on there? What are the people like there? What is God doing there? What am I going to do? And, and describe the promises of God for this coming kingdom that won't just remain in heaven, but it's going to come down to the earth. A new heavens and a new earth is promised in the word of God, but it's going to radically transform the current uh, makeup of this 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 world that we're in right now. So tell them about the king and tell them about the country, and then if they respond with interest, if they want 
to be governed by this kind of a king. They want to be set free from the prince of this world that has them enslaved to their sin. Tell them about how they can become that citizen. Tell them how they can enter into this kingdom. It's by repentance. Turn from your sin, to turn from your self-righteousness, your self-will. In essence, to surrender. Repentance is an about face. It is a change of your mind that you come to God and you say, I was wrong, you were right. I surrender. I want to follow you. Many people are on the wrong path believing in the right God. And that path leads to destruction. They're going to find the road that is, is wide and broad that many are on. And they're going to think they're going down a path because they have a, a, a head knowledge of God. Or they have a religious, ritualistic lifestyle perhaps. Or they're just a good person in their own estimation. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. God's going to, going to grant me favor. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, basically, I'm going to bribe the judge on the day of judgment with my good works. Yes, yes, judge, I did all these bad things, but, but look at all these things I did here, here, here. Take that and, and let me off. And the judge of the earth is holy, it's just, it's righteous, and he can by no means clear the guilty through good works. So it, it, you've got to repent from all of that, your self-effort at being good enough and surrender to the king that says, though you're not good enough, I have made a way through my son. This is the second thing you tell them to get into that kingdom. You trust in the work of the king, who is unlike any earthly king that ever lived. He gave his life for his citizens. He didn't send his citizens off to war to give their lives so that he would continue to reign as a king, that he would continue to have a kingdom and, 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 and spend any expense so that he would survive. No, he laid down his life willingly for others who were his enemies. That they might come and live with him for all eternity. What kind of a king is this? He had all power, but he ruled in meekness, in gentleness, in grace, in mercy, and in love. If they want to trust in the work of Jesus on the cross for their sin debt, in his resurrection, proving that he is the Son of God, that he's conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave, then that is the kind of faith that God will reward. And what God will do at that point is make that man, a new creation, set them free from the bondage, the slavery of their sin, and put them in a kingdom that dwells within. See, the kingdom of God now dwells within you. Jesus, John the Baptist, they came preaching, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's literally at hand. You could literally touch the king when he was saying that. And Jesus went away, but he said, it's better for me to go because when I go, I will send the comforter. And the comforter comes to make the kingdom of God real and alive in the hearts and lives of all those who turn to follow this king. And so we are in the kingdom in that essence. The body of Christ in this dark, corrupt, evil, wicked, satanically seduced world. The body of Christ is like this glowing, vibrant, living organism in the midst of a dark globe. There's this group of people there's this kingdom on earth it's only a kingdom because we're attached to the head who is jesus christ all of us just members all of our authority is nothing except that we're under his authority the bible says if you will submit yourselves unto god then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you sometimes we have real trouble getting the devil to flee from us or from our homes or from the demonically oppressed person I wonder, what's the problem, Lord? You said I can cast them out. You said in the name of Jesus. I just got to say in the name of Jesus. That means, no, no, no. In the name of Jesus, that means you're under his authority. You're operating in his will and his covenant. 
And so sometimes the first thing we got to do is say, Lord, I realize I'm not even submitting to you in this area or in this thing or, or I've done this and this was not your will. Forgive me. And you repent of that. And you say, Lord, I, I surrender to you again and again and again. Repentance is something we constantly are doing so that we can live under the authority of the king and have the power to go and to do what we and ourselves could never do. So in this authority, we can tell someone how to enter into the kingdom of God. We can't make them a citizen, but the Holy Spirit then comes. He confirms that, that, that person's faith and their repentance, and he enters into their life. And so the third thing they do, repent, trust in Jesus. Now you've got to follow the earthly advocate of this king. And this is what we're, we're doing, right? This is our goal today, is to follow the Holy Spirit. Don't follow men. Don't follow a church. Don't follow traditions. Don't follow whoever you think is, is the one that's going to lead you to heaven. If it's not the Holy Spirit, you need to put that aside. And you need to trust the Holy Spirit. And you need to get in a relationship with him where you can hear his voice. You can sense his will in your heart. And you can know through his empowerment that it's him who's living through you. So we, we follow the earthly advocate of the king. The Bible says over and over again, walk in the spirit. Walk after the spirit. Be led of the spirit. Live in the spirit, right? Not in the flesh. It's always in contrast to the flesh. The Holy Spirit is the one that can make someone a citizen of the kingdom and can lead them safely home to the king. Uh, finally, the revelation that that centurion got, he wasn't the only one that got the revelation of Jesus as king. We celebrate what happened 2,020 years ago when the wise men came from afar. And it says, the, 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 and I guess they had a vision or a dream that the king of the Jews was born. And they... they took everything that they had that they could give to him that was of value. And they traveled a very dangerous journey over thousands of miles back in those days. And they came to find the little baby that they called the king of the Jews. Now, if you had been in Jerusalem in those days, and someone had said, who's the king of the Jews? What would have been the answer that you would have heard? Anyone know? Herod. Someone said it. Yeah, Herod. Herod was set up as a puppet king. And uh, that's, that, was the, that was, you know, the king of the Jews. But not under God's rule. God brought in this baby. And, of course, as soon as Herod heard there was competition, being the kind of man he was, an earthly king who was, who was ruled by the power of Satan, he wanted to destroy him. He wanted to kill this king. But he couldn't do it. And he failed. And he was the one that ended up dying. And Jesus came back, lived for 30 years in relative obscurity, no one thinking much about this. Mary having hidden the, the, the things that she had been told in her heart, wondering, well, how's this going to work out, God? And then suddenly Jesus and John the Baptist begin going out and preaching and telling people, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does this mean? Well, the Jews knew what it meant. It meant there was a Messiah that was coming, the Christ, who was going to be the king. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 16, it's there that, that uh, Peter says something very profound, something very risky that we just take for granted because we're so familiar with it. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, in verse 13, in Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, Son of the living God. That was the king of the Jews. You understand that? Messiah was, was, was not just a mere man. He said, you are the Christ, 
What did Jesus say to him? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It was a revelation that Peter had. He didn't just guess. I, are you, maybe, you're, maybe you're the Christ. No, you are. Because suddenly he had that, the eyes go off. When you get that, realizing he's the king. I'm in the kingdom. Right now, the Holy Spirit's in me. I'm an ambassador for the king. It gives your life purpose. It gives your life focus. It gives your life encouragement. And then the spirit of God gives you the strength to do what you cannot do in your, in your flesh. And Jesus said to Peter in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many have discussed what that means, the rock that, that Jesus is referring to there. I don't know if this is exactly what he meant. This is, this is the view that I particularly lean towards. But since Peter made that claim based upon revelation that could not have been given to him by flesh and blood, I believe Jesus was saying, my church is not going to be built like the Old Testament uh, body, the congregation, okay, the temple and all that, the people that would gather and then go home. This is a body that is living under the head in a kingdom that is now and not yet. And revelation is the means by which this church is going to go out and preach. This whole New Testament came to us by revelation. Paul says, I didn't get this from men. I, 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 I got it from revelation of Jesus Christ. And, Jesus, and so did Peter. You look at Peter's epistles. He talks about, oh, running out of time, but Peter talks about the fact that we are called to be a holy priesthood, right? A royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2. A holy nation, okay? And Revelation, we read it earlier. I read it from Revelation chapter 5. It says, Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. So we are a kingdom right now. It says in both Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 and chapter 5 verse 9, Peter says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, God has now received that which he always desired. He wanted the children of Israel back in Exodus 19 to be a holy nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. But they failed, like any of us would have under the Old Testament. They failed to keep the covenant. And God had to abandon that effort temporarily and look for another way. And he made it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And by revelation, we enter into this. and We realize, I am a priest unto God to offer up of spiritual praises to Christ. It's the sacrifice of lips. Offer up your praise as a priest in this kingdom of God. This body that is in the world right now that is glowing with love and with power and with radiance and with attraction to those that are looking for hope, to those that are looking for something different. And if you get a glimpse of this, if you get a revelation of this, you're in good company. For the final person that I want to show that had that revelation of Jesus as king is in Luke chapter 23. You'll turn there. Now set this up. Jesus was being crucified. And as he was crucified, it says that over his head they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. It was a term of reproach and scorn in his day that the Gentiles gladly stuck on him. Oh, this is the king of the Jews. And so... The robbers were crucified with him. You know what the robbers were doing? They were reviling him also. They were angry. They were hurting. They were, they were all being tortured with this most cruel punishment. They were stripped naked, bloody, beaten, and reviled and cursed by all those around them. And it says in Luke, in Luke chapter 23, let's pick it up. 
at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you're the king, if you're, if you're all you say, you are, he was trying to stir this silent, humble, forgiving, dying man, in, dying in weakness from every, every outward appearance. He was trying to spark something in him. You're a miracle worker. Do something. Save us and yourself. You're the Christ, right? Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't answer the man a word. And then it says in verse 40, the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are also under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. Think of that. You're nailed to a cross because you're a robber. You're bleeding out. The, the, the birds of the air are going to come and pluck out your eyes. You're, you're going to be humiliated before everyone, stripped naked, bloody, and you're saying, I deserve this. That's revelation. That's conviction. That's Holy Spirit transformation from the man that was reviling Jesus just like the other robber. Now he says, shut your mouth. We deserve this. Do you not fear God? Do you not realize you're about to meet your maker? Repent. But this man has done nothing wrong. That's faith. He believed that Jesus was sinless. He believed he did not deserve it. He was different. In fact, he got the revelation. He says in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did Jesus look like a king to anyone on that day? No. The disciples all fled. They they, they were horrified by it. The Jews were mocking him, saying, oh yeah, stick it up. He's the king of the Jews. But this man said, remember me when you come, Lord, into your kingdom. And Jesus said, he said something to this man. He gave him a response. Today, of, of all the people that died in the Bible, we have the word of God saying, this man's in heaven. You're going to see this man when you go to heaven. I don't know about all the others, but I know that this robber who could do nothing but turn to Jesus in saving faith and say, you're a king, please remember me. He said, I'll do more than that. I'll be with you today. Wow. So by revelation, you can come to, Carly, you can come up and play if you want to. You can come into this kingdom today and realize who you're serving is alive. He's here. He's present. He has all power, all authority. But we're in a day of grace so that those that have not yet come in are not under the condemnation, the judgment that they will face if they don't repent. So there's a sense of urgency. Because when that kingdom comes in its fullness, there will be no second chances. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and follow the king. I hope this will encourage you that Holy Spirit is in this church. And some people are moving with the Spirit. Some people are under His influence and allowing His reign in their life. The reign of grace. Set them free from sin. Set them free from bitterness. Set them free from laziness. The Holy Spirit is here. But He's asking you to let Him reign in your heart. To let Him enforce the kingdom of another nation, of another country. And to turn you into a priest unto God. To 
offer up your spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. What? My money? My good works? My tears? No. Yourself. As priests unto God, we are to offer up a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to the King. And then offer up your praises to God. Amen? I hope this has encouraged you to dig a little deeper into this coming kingdom. I want to know about it before I get there. And I went, wow, I never thought this. He's going to say, it was in the scripture. Why didn't you read about it? Why didn't you study it? Let's, let's, let's read these next few weeks as we think about the coming of Jesus. We think about not just his first coming, his first advent, but his imminent return and his second advent. Come and reign in this world. Amen. Father, we thank you that we have hope today, not as the world has hope, and even in our loss, even in our grief, even in our pain, we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. But there's a sweetness even in the hurt because as we lose our hope in this world, as we become more and more detached from everything that would try to hold us here and to catch our affections and set them in earthly places, these things only work to further our affection for heaven, the desire to be with Jesus. Because when he appears, then we shall appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life, is going to give us what is truly life. And thank you, Father, that the kingdom is now in every heart that is here that has been born again. If there's anyone here that doesn't know this king, that hasn't turned to him in repentance and trusted in him for what he's done at the cross, I pray that your spirit will lead them to you, Lord. Bring them in that they can confess with their mouth believe in their heart who this king is and what he has done and will begin to follow him by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this.